0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books.
1: Hey, you guys, this episode of other people is brought to you by audible, the world's leading provider of digital audio books over at audible.com. There are hundreds of thousands of titles to choose from in a tremendous variety of genres, and you can play them on just about any digital listening device in your possession. Whether it's an iPhone, a Kindle, an Android, you name it. And here is the deal, everybody. Right now, for listeners of this program, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial. Go get The Middlesteins, the new novel by today's guest, Jamie Attenberg. The audiobook is narrated by Molly Ringwald, and it is available at audible.com as of October twenty-third, 2012. Uh, and better yet, just about any book at Audible can be yours with this deal free of charge and if you do this if you go get the freebie it helps the program i get a few nickels that is enjoyable to download your free audiobook just go to audibletrial.com slash other people again that's audibletrial.com slash other people this is a great deal it is available right now these are books you can listen to them go and get them oh my
2: god
0: just one person at just one
1: time okay <laughs> guys here we go again right. this is it this is other people this is traveling through space this is a back and forth exchange between parties thank you for tuning in it's good to be with you my name is Brad Listy I'm in Los Angeles California. I want to start out today by giving one more quick reminder about the new other people app the official app for the program it is now available free of charge for your iPhone your iPad your iPod touch or your Android device you can get it in the App Store or the Android Marketplace, and so on and so forth, it's free. And it's the very best way to listen to this show. It is an elegant way to listen to this show. New episodes are automatically downloaded uh, to your device, straight to the app. You don't have to do anything. It just happens. So, uh, in addition, there are all sorts of other bells and whistles. It's very exciting, so please go get the free app for this program. Otherwise, uh, what is happening here uh, in my life... Basically just normal stuff. I went out to dinner last night. We had a bit of a social obligation, my wife and I, uh, involving my daughter's preschool. And uh, we had to go out to dinner with some uh, other couples who have children in the school. And uh, the the headmaster of the school was actually also there with her boyfriend. So it was a get-together. You have to do this sort of thing, I guess, when you're a parent and you have a kid in school in Los Angeles. And so I did it. And for those of you who don't uh, know me that well... This is the sort of social outing that can bring me to the brink of a massive panic attack. Like not really, but kind of, if you know what I'm saying. So uh, I was I was rehearsing, I was preparing, I was envisioning uh, people uh, evaluating me and asking me questions and uh, asking me to assess my own career trajectory and things of that nature. And uh, of course, when I actually got there and went through it, everything was fine. It wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. And, you you know, almost always this is the case. It's the anticipation that is often much worse for me than the actual thing. And so, you know, when I look back on it and I try to kind of evaluate my performance, the only real faux pas that I might have made during the evening happened uh, when we were talking about where we were from, you know, where we grew up and, uh, you know, the conversation turned in my direction and I started talking about the Midwest and uh, Indiana in particular. And I made a comment About how I used to play tag at shopping malls When I was 15 years old Or something to that effect And uh, you know It's a joke I've made at various times in my past And uh, like actually (laughs) It's sort of true Sadly you know or close to it Because when you grow up in Indiana uh, There isn't anything to do And that's the point So you sort of have to make up your own fun It is a flat Barren Cultureless void That produced me and uh, when you live there as a child, you have to invent your own games as if you were an aboriginal, <laughs> you know, not really, but kind of. So I said this, I made this remark, uh, I meant it as a joke, and I think I, it, I delivered it somewhat nervously. And there was a pause, you know, thinking back on it, there was a pause. It wasn't a long pause, but there was kind of a brief pause and everyone sort of looked at me uh, like I was crazy or looked at me as though they were waiting for further clarification And then uh, they tried to laugh, I think, uh, in an effort to be polite. But it seems uh, clear that they were having a hard time understanding and trying to process this visual of me playing tag in a shopping mall in Indiana at the age of 15. Anyway, uh, one more quick plug from another sponsor. Please go check out LitBreaker.com. LitBreaker is an ad network for the literary web, for the uh, literary arts and culture web if you're a publisher or a brand or an individual author and you want to advertise on sites like the nervous breakdown my online lit mag or on html giant or full stop or the rumpus just go to litbreaker.com it is a great way to reach smart readerly artsy intelligent bookish people in mass okay okay
0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books.
1: My guest today is Jamie Attenberg. She is the author of a story collection called Instant Love. She's written two prior novels, uh, one of which is called The Kept Man, and the other is called The Melting Season, and her new novel is called The Middlesteens. It is available from Grand Central Publishing, And it is garnering all kinds of rave reviews and kind attention from readers and booksellers and bloggers and authors and uh, publishing industry professionals and cultural commentators. It's a buzzworthy book. That's what I'm trying to say. And Jamie is a writer whose star is on the rise. I'm very pleased to have her here on the show. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen, the lovely and talented Jamie Attenberg.
2: I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in my apartment. It's raining outside. It's been like kind of a super gloomy day out, um, and uh, I watched The Voice today. That's what I did today.
1: You did. Okay. You watched that show? Um, I think that, that's like is Christina Aguilera one of the judges? It's
2: Christina. I'm really into Christina Aguilera. I don't know. I like looking at her um, cleavage like the entire show. Yeah, what's I'm the- just mesmerized by. She's like, <laughs> the, she's like
1: they're awesome, <laughs> she's like the blonde Snooky, I mean, I don't mean to reduce, but it's like something's going on there. Uh,
2: listen, that is a reduction because she is a pop singing sensation. um, I love like beautiful is one of my favorite songs, um but uh, and Snooky doesn't do really anything, but she's she's a character, she's become a character on the show anyway, I did more than that. I did more than watch the voice, but it was like kind of so gloomy out I was like, I need something to cheer me up and Christina's cleavage, was it? That's, um, the, that's the cure-all. Uh-oh. But okay, wait, we, we were talking, stop, stop, because we were talking before, and I still want to finish this conversation before we got started recording, because I said I was worried about you, because your Facebook update status update was lit, that you were kind of worried, because you were really close to the end of your novel. You were almost done with it, and you were feeling kind of nervous about it. There wasn't, I guess, wasn't what you wanted it to be. And then... I said, well, was it like that with your other book? And you said, yeah, kinda. And so, let's. What is that about? What do you think?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this is the thing. Like, like I think that it's a real possibility that it doesn't work. But I also think that it could just be a day. You know, like you just have these things. It's like trying to negotiate between reality uh, and uh, perseverance. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean. Yeah like I don't want to discount the possibility I'm too much of a realist to discount the possibility that like the you know the book won't work even you know after all this work and no matter how much I try to like hammer it into shape but uh, it's also entirely possible that this is just like a hiccup and I'm just having a freak out you know yeah
2: is it like a first draft or is it yeah, but, uh, but I'm, a, I'm a
1: well. I'm a careful. Like I, it's it's a first draft, but like I'm a, a very plodding, slow writer who goes over what he wrote the previous day every day, and sort of it's sort of like when you're ironing a shirt and you sort of iron what you just ironed over and over again obsessively. So. When I get to the end of it, it should be really readable. But I'm sure there'll be a lot of work that needs to be done to it. Even so, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't permit is myself, it, I don't permit myself to write like a really, really loose, sloppy first draft.
2: Right, I don't either. Um, uh, well, sometimes, but um, but those are the ones I kind of end up not caring about in the end. Um, but uh, is this your first novel that you've written? So it was ADD
1: a memoir, wasn't it? No, 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 no. It was a novel, but I mean, it was like, you know...
2: Oh, it was a novel. Okay. Thin,
1: Thinly-veiled, right. thinly you know, autobiography.
2: Yeah, because I just always... Think of you because then, like, you went on to be the nervous breakdown, and I was like, "Oh, he's got some
1: stuff going on." <laughs> I'm not medicated. <laughs> not, either. not like
2: we all. No, we all know we all have some stuff going on. So I was like, "He's just being more open about it than the rest of us are." So yeah,
1: you know, what's interesting is though that I've never, uh, I'm not medicated. I've never taken uh, any kind of like attention deficit medication. Everyone assumes this about me, you know, and uh, I've never had a nervous breakdown, though I'm working on it. <laughs> And uh... this
2: week was like, this was the week that I was like, I really wish I had a therapist. I never, I never want to have one. And like this week was just my breaking point week. Cause I was like, I, I just can't lay my stuff on my friends anymore. (laughs)
0: Like it
2: just needs like somebody else to talk to you, but I don't really want a therapist, but I just for like a day, I was like, that'd be kind of cool if I could just go talk to somebody who like. Was completely unbiased or didn't have throw you know not your friends are pretty good about if they're really good you're really good friends they don't throw their own, own bullshit on it they can just sit there and listen to you but after if you, after you've told the same story or agonized over the same thing like five million times like I have a book coming out and I'm like I really you know want to get reviewed by this place or that place or whatever and they're like yes we know
1: <laughs> right just shut up
2: already <laughs> we're, we're familiar with your what you're worried about, you know? So anyway, well, that was just,
1: have you done therapy before? Once. And it was really, uh, it was really unsatisfying. Like, I think I just had a bad therapist, but like, I, you know, I don't know if it's a pride thing or it's just like a money issue. Like, how do you pay? Like, do you have to get insurance for that or whatever? Like, I've just never gone there. Uh, and, and frankly, like, you know, I, I've been able to sort of hold the line. Uh, but I feel just pressure to perform, you know, I have a kid and a wife and I want the book to do well and I want to get it done so that I can focus on other things. And, you know, it's just like real world stuff. That's just like, you know, kind of floating and buzzing around my head while I try to write this thing. And like, you sort of have to block all that stuff out in order to write well, do you know what I'm saying? But it's like, I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like that stuff is sort of like there and buzzing in my ears and you know, whatever.
2: But you're almost there. You said you were like 2,000 words away. So it's like, why today do you choose to question it And when you are on the, like, peak, you know, the precipice of, like, your mo- your moment? Because there is that moment you get. Yeah, it varies with books, you know, each book. But there is that moment you get when you finish it, like that sense of accomplishment, because not a lot of people can do it. No. Actually, a lot of people can write a book, but they aren't all
1: good. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I was talking to Heidi Julevitz on this show and I remember something she said about, um, I think she said it on the show. I mean, I know we were talking, I don't know if it was like on the air or off the air, but she said something about like, uh, we were talking about appreciating the good moments in writing because a lot of it can be difficult or whatever. And, um, she's like, uh, was describing that moment that you get to in a manuscript, particularly on a long like novel, uh, or book length project where, Uh, you can't – you kind of have control of the manuscript or you can't mess anything up or – do you know what I'm saying? Like you finally get to Mm -hmm. that place. And like it's worth like kind of uh, sticking a flag in the ground and like marking that moment and noting how awesome it is. And I think the case for me right now is that I'm just not quite there yet. And I think like the pressure – and tell me – I'd be interested to know, you know, like if this is the case for you. But, you know, for me, the end of a book always starts to slow down in the writing. Like I can – Because everything sort of has to be wrapped up. There has to be sort of, you know, uh, there has to be that emotional payoff, and all the different threads have to sort of tie together, at least to some extent. And, you know, it's like this slow motion process. And I find the end of a book to be challenging. Like, is that the way it is for you? Well, I
2: think every. I mean I don't it's like I know the book that I'm writing I'm about to I I just sold a book on proposal and I'm about 80 I've written about 80 pages and I already know this book is going to be different than all the other books it's just going to be it's just hard it just feels harder and that's fine I I need for it to feel harder but most of my other books I write I I tend to write really fast like the middle scenes I wrote I think mostly in a summer like 4 or 5 months I mean I sort of thought about it for 6 months before I did anything and then um and then I wrote it In probably four or five months, and then um, and then the endings always come really fast for me. Like I just by the time I get to the end, I've already kind of I'm not a plotter. Like I don't I don't do outlines beforehand, but I start you know I start to hold the whole universe in my head, and I don't know so I don't know what the ending's going to be. But by the time I'm 75 pages away from the ending, I know how it's going to end. And so I'm just at just at that point, like just writing to get to the end. Like I can just see it. So it's it's pretty fast process for me um and i and i and i tend to i'm uh, the opposite of that i tend to like write like you know the like i'll write like i think for like all of my books i ended up writing except for the first book which was a story collection and i had no idea what i was doing but um all of the books i usually write the last 30 pages in like a day like i'm just sort of racing to the finish line you know so Jesus it's Christ it's really weird. Like I get really, but I also like, am you know, end up being like really freakish about it. Like I won't leave my apartment probably for the last week. And I'm like, I don't smoke anymore, but I've certainly smoked my way through a couple of the books um, at the end. And, um, and I kind of, I just can't even talk to anyone because I'm just like fully like, you know, it's like method acting except for writing, you know, and I'm just kind of, I'm really in, in that universe. Um, But I haven't been there in a while. I finished a book this winter, but I threw it away. But um, you did. I do. I did. Yeah, I I wrote a like a. I think it was maybe 180 pages. It was sort of borderline novella novel, and I written. I started it like two or three times, and I just even though I knew I wanted to write the book that I just that I'm going to write next year. I just felt like I had to finish it for some reason. Like there, I was just getting rid of some stuff. I threw, I threw away a novel right before the middle scenes too. Like sometimes I just write through stuff really fast and then go to the next and get to the next place. I think for this one, I the one that I threw away, there was stuff in there that I needed to learn how to write. Like I wrote an action sequence and I don't really write a lot of action sequences. And I wanted to, I think I needed to play with it, but not but play with it in a place where I wasn't, scared of fucking it up if that makes any sense at all yeah no so
1: you're giving yourself some i had
2: it i yeah so i did it with this uh, you know these other characters and then and then i think one of the characters in there sort of she's not a model for the for this new person at all but there was stuff in there that i needed to to the very like you know both of the women are the woman in the new book and the woman in that book are sort of lonely in their way and i wanted to write about I don't know, I just wanted to write about it. It's terrible when you throw a book away because then you're very, very poor
0: because oh, <laughs> you're
2: like you're like you're like, well, that if maybe if I'd sold that, I'd be able to pay my you know bills here or whatever um but I did um and I'm learning that it's not every book needs to be published. And you can kind of tell that, and I'm not going to name any names, but you sometimes see authors who put out books and they just have a really regular schedule for it. And you're like, that book is a little bit of a retread of the book before it. Or um, I hate to be negative about it, but it's just true. It's like, you can just because you can write it doesn't mean that it needs to get published. You know what I mean? I know that's the wrong thing to say to you right now. <laughs> well, no, but you know, like but, I've had this conversation yeah.
1: on this show before, and it's like, uh, you know i forget who i was talking to but it was like i think we were talking about like woody allen and how he does a movie a year and how you know obviously when you produce at that level of frequency you know there's going to be some variation and it's like the the conversation then gets to i guess if you have the opportunity to publish a book a year um is there something wrong with doing it and then like you know, in I think my view was sort of yes, like I kind of like the uh, I like the approach where you only publish a book when you absolutely have something that you need to say as opposed to just kind of like going through the motions and cashing yeah, yeah. I cashing, agree. cashing the yeah. checks, but then like uh, oh, you know who it was it was Sheila Hetty, and she was she disagreed she was like, you know what, um you know, if you like to do it, if you like to write and you like to publish or you like to make movies, in the case of Woody Allen, then that's a cool way to live your life. You know, do you know what I'm saying? If it's like, a, it's like a lifestyle as opposed to, like, some big, huge statement that you're making or something. But I guess it's just different.
2: Uh, I don't know. I'm just so, you know, in the – if you want to do, like, a small press stuff, and I don't mean to be derogatory about small press stuff because I'm not at all. I I have done small press t- – stuff in the past and i'm very supportive of it but i think that there's a bad like you kind of have to find a balance for not every book is going to come out with a mainstream publisher they just won't do it they just won't put their i don't i just don't want to put anything out there that my publisher isn't going to put any weight behind because i've been there and it's terrible when it's not you know or they don't love it or you know or it maybe isn't just a a big mainstream kind of book, but maybe it would be more appropriate for a small press audience, or maybe you want to self publish it. Like there's just all these different kinds of, or maybe it just lives in a PDF on your website. I don't really know. Or just sits on your, I just think that like the end goal of it needs to be published by a big publisher is not always the right one. And sometimes it's about just writing it and going through the, process i think i don't know i could be totally wrong because like anytime i always feel like whenever i try to make these grand pronouncements about it like there's a hundred people who could step up and totally prove me wrong in every way like there's just no absolute to it at all but i'm not gonna but i found in the past that i end i end up like sort of doing this nervous apologizing thing for it and i'm not going to do that either so yeah,
1: you sound I like just, me I
2: can't, can't, what? I, you I, sound
1: like me. I, I can go back and forth in my head on just about anything like that, you know?
2: Uh, yeah, like on any anything. But for me, the way that I feel about it is that the book that I wrote this winter, to me, felt like it could have been a small press book. But it didn't feel like a thing that I wanted to sell to my publisher who likes big, who looks at me as like a literary commercial author that has like, um, you know, some sort of main, mainstream appeal. Now, there's parts of me that are not that person at all. There's parts of me that write, like, you know, dark little weird stories, which can have, like, a mainstream. I mean, look at whatever Fifty Shades of. I don't know. Is that a dark. I didn't read it. But it's, like, you know, it's basically just about fucking the whole book, right? Did you read it?
1: I have not. But I've been. I've, I, I, you know, I had a friend who read it, and she's female, and she said that it, like, it, it uh, you know, she's like, you should give it to your wife is what she told me. <laughs> uh,
2: oh yeah. I've had, I've had writer friends say, I won't let my wife read it, which is really amusing to me. I don't know why it cracks me up, but they like, you know, and also my mom was like, should I read it? And I was like, I oh, don't, mm, I don't, I don't feel that you should, yeah, <laughs> but I, mean, I don't mean to compare that to a small press book. I'm just saying that you can write dark, weird, subversive things and they can be sort of mainstream. I'm saying that about that, a book I haven't read, but, um, and I don't want to give it too much credit because I think it's maybe not even that, but um, not to knock it at all because people love it. But um, I think that there's just you can write different kinds of books for different kinds of audiences. And 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 if you're working with a business, but, you know, they're a business and but they're also, you, you know, your part your partners, or your team, your, you know, if you're working with them and you don't want to, like, make them work on something that they don't they're
1: not behind it i don't believe in so well yeah i mean it's like it brings up like an interesting question because like what i was thinking of when you were talking about books that sort of defy the odds and like seem sort of indie in their sensibility or you know weird or bleak or whatever but yet go on to find a wide audience like i think of a book uh like the stranger by camus like just like the most random mm-hmm. book like this small little sliver of a book that's like incredibly bleak and dark and has sort of, uh, you know, become a. I mean, it is a classic, and that
2: can, and now, yeah, when I was in high school,
1: yeah, that can happen. But then, you know, when you approach contemporary publishing, you know, from a business perspective, and I'm interested to know uh, your thoughts on this. Like when you sit down to write, uh, it sounds like you have. Uh, at least to some extent, thoughts along those lines in your mind? Like you have a sense of, you know, a sense of the market? Or you think, are you writing to the market at all or are you just writing?
2: No, no. no. I'm just writing it to one side of myself. So I, there's so many things that I write or so many things you can write. If you're writing online, if you're writing essays, if you're writing emails, I don't status updates whatever like there's just so many different kinds of things so that moment right you know the book that I have coming out like I worked on it and I was and it was just us it was just the story I wanted to tell right then the story that I wrote before it was also, also could have maybe been a little commercial I don't know but you can't you really can only just cheesy to say but you know you can only kind of channel the voices in your head at that whatever the given moment and honestly if I knew how to write books that were commercial I'd freaking write them all the time so I could have some money in my pocket you know what I mean like it would be really great if you if there if I had any I mean you just never know really like what what's going to come out of you so some people can do it some people know exactly when they sit down that they're like this is going to this is going to hit this audience. This is going to, you know, for me, I was, I, I, when I was writing it, I was just like, well, cause it's a very Jewish book. I was like, well, maybe the Jews will buy it. I don't know. Jews like books, but it was <laughs> like, they do. They're, they're a bit, they're, you know, a big book buying, buying audience, but, um, but it wasn't, I can't really, I'm really bad at being calculated in that way. I'm not, I'm, I have a good understanding of, the business side of it and I have a good understanding of the marketing side of it once I've, once I've, cause I worked in advertising for years. And so once I've actually like created something and, I, and that, and the most joyful part of it is creating the book. But in the end, after you've written it and you've, you've had that experience, it becomes ultimately it's a piece of art, but it also becomes a product. Once you sell it, it becomes a product and hopefully you sell it to the right place. You know what I mean? And you have an editor who like loves it and they market you in the right way and they're interested in partnering with you and those kinds of things, but it's not always the case. So I don't I just I I feel very I feel like I'm pretty pure about what I'm writing. I'm what I'm writing when I'm writing it.
1: And then what about your understanding of publishing? Is that just is that just derived like the business side of publishing? Have you made any kind of concerted effort to understand that? Is your proximity to it by living in Williamsburg giving you insights that you might not otherwise have? Do you know what I'm saying? Like how did. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, well, my sister-in-law works in publishing, so she's, um, she, and she has worked in publishing even when I was starting to write my first book. I, she was working in publishing and she's actually more kind of on like a commercial side of it than a literary side of it. But, um, and now she's an associate publisher, so she doesn't really do any editing anymore, but she's always been very savvy about, you know, she did big books. She did like celebrity memoirs and stuff like that. Um, but she, she said to me for my very first book, um, it was more, I think I had more of an understanding of like that, um, that you can't really make a lot of money at it and that what it, what writing can do for you is create opportunities for you that didn't exist before. So like, if you write a book and editor, you know, magazine editors love it, then suddenly you might get more magazine writing gigs or you could get grants or you could get a teaching gig or you could get residencies. Do you know what I mean? Like there's just like this whole world that can open up, but the actual, but actually making money off of like selling a book, like people don't buy that many books. Well, I mean, at least not like a literary kind of stuff. If I was writing genre fiction, it might be a different story um, or YA, YA or something like that. Um, so I don't, I don't, I have, so I have that kind of understanding where I think maybe people who aren't around it all the time, they don't maybe get that you can't, that it's, it, it doesn't change your life in a really big way. Um, it can't, or it doesn't necessarily change your life in a, in a really big way. Um, and I will tell you something else. This is boring by the way, or no, no, no,
1: no. This is interesting. Okay. Uh, All
2: right. I will tell you something else, which is that the, the last three books that I had did not do particularly well. And I actually got dropped by my publisher before I got picked up by this publisher. And, um, which is a whole other story in and of itself, but I didn't really understand like how how poorly, how badly my career was going until I went to a new publisher, and they were like doing nice things for me. And that's that's something that you that maybe I I sort of I sort of got that it wasn't going that well. But then um, because I would see my other friends when you sort when you live in a community where you're surrounded by writers and you see the other opportunities that the other writers have, you're like, should I should that be happening to me? You know, like <laughs> should I, should like this what? be going like you know. Your publisher taking out an ad, even just something like that, it's like a big investment and they really won't do it or, you know, or sending you out to sort of supporting your, you know, tour efforts more or you know, I went to Bea for the first time this year. I've never gone to BA. I've never even just gone to Bea to like, check it out. Like it had never even occurred to me that Bea was something that I should be going to.
1: Yeah. You know, but I can't, I can't, I mean, I can, I went to AWP last year for the first time, but it was more, it was out of a feeling of like social pressure or perceived pressure that I kind of like internalized because everybody seemed to be going. And I was like, "What? what is, you know, what is this? And I don't know. I, I, you know, I think I actually, uh, talked about it on the show or whatever in the monologue and I go back and forth on it. I don't want to like, uh, you know, badmouth anybody else's good time, but I just like those events kind of overwhelm me, I guess. And I don't know where to go. Oh
2: yeah. You know, I went, well, okay. So the thing is I went because they were handing out galleys of my book and I did like a little autograph signing session again, did not even know that that ever happened. You know, like, I feel like basically like some just completely grateful that I have any sort of career at all right now, because my books were, they were well, they were well reviewed, I guess, but they just didn't sell very many, you know, copies. And when your publisher dumps you, you think this is it, it's it's over, you know, not to be a drama about it, but like for real, like I was like, crying on my couch for like two days. Like, I'm like, this is it. What am I going to do? I'm going to have to get a, you know, and when, like when an was this job?
1: When was this?
2: This was a, this was a year ago, February that it happened. Wow. And then my agent went out and sold it, but it was, it was really tricky because people didn't want to touch me because I had been dropped and because they knew what my sales track was.
1: See, it's so, brutal. and it's, it's not so it, that way, but you know, what's so strange is that, uh, if, if someone were to have asked me before we got on, uh, on this call, to start talking, like to sum up your trajectory or like where your career was, I would say that like your ascendant, like all the vibes and messages and weird flashes of information that I'm getting from the internet, tell me good things for whatever that's worth. Do you know what I'm saying? And like to hear that, that you've gone through this stuff, uh, you know, obviously doesn't make me happy to hear it, but in a way it's sort of, I don't know, it's always heartening to hear. That, yeah. that it's like that you can, that everybody's, you know, maybe that everybody goes through these kinds of moments somehow uh, one way or the other, but also that they can be transcended somehow too, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, no one is more surprised than I am that it's like working out. I mean, it's, it's weird. Cause when I was writing the book, even though I didn't, again, like, Oh, this, my strategy was not, um, writing this commercial book or anything like that, but I was writing a book that I loved and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever written in my life. Like I knew that it was, I mean i it's i just read somewhere where they were saying oh maybe juno diaz said this like oh it takes 10 years to get to become a good writer or some somebody said that that it was 10 years and i was like well i'm at, at about 8 so that's about right like where i felt like i was really in my groove and i was really understanding what was going on and how to make book, a book feel bigger and and sort of more lustrous and relevant to a bigger a bigger audience, like just worldview wise. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and so, uh, and then, and everything in me was saying this book is really my, you know, the best thing that I've done. And then when you go and you send it to your publisher and they say, it doesn't matter or it's not good enough or whatever it is. And they just, and they break up with you because that's what it feels like. It feels like you're getting dumped. They dumped
0: dumped you with this book,
1: with the Middlesteins.
2: They dumped me with the Middlesteins. Um, you it threw my entire universe into question because it's because my I was like my instincts are wrong and my instincts have always served me and I I was like I don't understand how this is happening because this thing that I made is good there's like a lot of things that I do that are terrible like I just fuck up constantly like I'm sure you you know we're all like super neurotic. I just wrote something about it the other day that like I wake up every morning and think about everything that I said, like the day before and try to like figure out which stuff like I beat myself up for and which stuff I don't have to beat myself up for. But, um, but the one thing that I feel really secure about is like that I can, that I know how to write. Cause I'm not one of those people who hates their writing. I'm not one of those people who hates the process. Like it's the, it's the really like the pure joy in my life. And so this publisher was like, no way! I was like, "Wait, what? Wait, what? That just doesn't that doesn't make sense." And then it was fine, like a couple of weeks later, and I sold it. But it took me a really long time to recover, and and to sort of put trust to put trust into it all again.
1: You're like the shelter dog, you know? Like you gotta you gotta work to, <laughs> I mean, is that, you know you know what I'm saying? You know? Um, yeah. It's just it's it's brutal in a way, and I hate the idea of being reduced, especially because it's so difficult in the literary. Um, in literary publishing, to build a readership, and you, it's like you don't have much time. You know what I'm saying? It's like they don't they don't give you um, to continue the metaphor like a very long leash. It's like if your first book doesn't sell, the second book's even harder to publish. And boy, if two books don't sell well, then it gets yeah. You know, it gets and weird. and
2: I'll I'll tell you what I don't. I actually I I know that I've done everything. I knew that I had done everything that I could possibly do for those books. I mean, I used to drive cross country and you know, they'd pay for the gas and that was it. I was paying for everything myself. I was constantly doing stuff online. I was writing for all these places and they, uh, you know, I don't want to like get into like a a little battle here, but like, I don't think they marketed me properly. So I, it, and I'm not the only person who says stuff like this. It's like if you get put into this box or I don't, I don't know. I mean, I did, I felt like I did what everything I could do. Well yeah, I mean, you know, I, um, you I wrote I wrote the, I wrote the book and I and I put a lot into marketing. I mean this sounds sort of bitter, but I really I I'm like I'm the daughter of, you know, small um in small business owners. My father was a traveling salesman, my they also owned a sewing store. Like I grew up in this environment of like you just work and work and work. And when you're a writer, you're your own small business owner. So I, I just dug in, I worked so hard and that was like, the, that, and like, it didn't really matter. And so if you have to, I mean, it doesn't really matter anymore to like lay blame one way or the other, but I was like, I just didn't know what else to do. Like, you yeah. know, yeah, no, I no, didn't, I, I don't I, know.
1: I can relate. I mean, I remember uh, when my book came out, Like, whenever you have a book come out, I can't imagine not wanting to fight for it and, the level of energy, like the intensity of energy that you can focus on doing everything that you can do to help it, uh, is pretty incredible. And I think it's, I think it's fairly common, especially when you have the sense that like, if you don't do it like that, no, a lot of stuff isn't going to get done, you know? And, and I don't mean to denigrate publishing people, uh, entirely because there's only so much, so many man hours they can devote to all the different titles they've got to support. but, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's do, just, like, do you
2: think they should buy less books? I yes. they think about
1: that. Yes, I do. I think that, like, I think they publish too many titles. Some, you know, I, I mean, who knows? I mean, but there's like what three hundred thousand books published in North America every year—some crazy number like that—and obviously not all of them are, are fiction titles or literary fiction titles. That's like cookbooks and everything. But uh, you would think that if they published fewer, but just like paid more attention to what they published, it would be be a better experience for the authors who made it through the hoops, but.
2: You know, uh, I guess, but also like, they also like don't, I mean, everything's changing right now, like digitally. I mean, also like the people that I've met, who I, the people I've, you know, half my friends are writers and the other half of my friends work in publishing, you know, like, those are the people, I, those are the friends that I've acquired over the years. Cause this is what I've been really focusing my life on for the last eight years. And I have some other friends who are not in that world and they are kind of my favorite people sometimes
1: (laughs) (laughs) because they don't
2: want to, they don't really want to hear about it at all, which is great. Um, but the people that I own in publishing are great. Like they don't make a lot of money. They're in it because they love books. Like it's very, it's very pure. Like they really love books. I love, you know, my, both of my, my first editor, and my second editor, now I have a third editor, but I still am very fond of both of my first two editors, even if it didn't work out with them because I can talk to them about books like nobody else. Like they love it. They, they're they just really into it and they really want every book to succeed. I know that they do. And there's just, there's sort of a there's just that business side of it where they're, you know, not every book can be picked to be, I understand that not every book can be picked to be a focus, you know, have a focus on it. That's why I'm like, not every book needs to be published by a big publisher. If you, you know, you might get lucky and they might say, I like your book for this season. I got lucky for this season. Like, I'm also like the only literary fiction person, you know, that's getting published by my house. It's a very commercial house. So, but it, you also like, you might not get lucky. And then I, and then I think, well, maybe it's better to go with a small press because they're going to give you, they only pick what they want, what they can spend time on. They don't pick anything that they're just going to like, they don't have the the f- financial situation to do it. You know, like yeah. literally like they can't print it because they can't afford forward the paper so I mean some of them have money but a lot a lot of them don't so if you you know it depends on what kind of experience you want to have I I don't know I um it's a it's just I I identify with them as business people I understand I understood even why I got dumped to a certain extent I think it's hilarious now
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, but, it, I mean and it, you know, even even when you do understand it, it still hurts. It still
0: sucks. <laughs> you know?
2: uh, it was like so. Oh, it stung. For, it really was like getting dumped by a boyfriend, and then like, and then like being in New York and being like, going out to parties and seeing like people that you you know, you used to work with and don't work with anymore. Not like getting fired. It's different. It's a little bit like getting fired, but anyway, I left town last winter because I was like, I can't even deal with new york in the publishing world anymore and i went to new orleans for a while and that seemed to help
0: i remember
1: this from facebook which is like such a strange thing to say but i like i remember your new orleans period just because it was showing up on my facebook wall
2: yes it was just like a bunch of like mardi gras pictures
1: were you was it was it fun did it do what it needed did you you know did you have the
0: experience
2: yeah oh yeah i mean it was um yeah, I mean, I didn't have any writer. I had a couple of friends who were like food writers down there. But most of my friends weren't writers. And I had known some people before I went down there. And I kind of just took it upon myself. I spent a little time there over the years. I had never spent that much time. I was there for three months. And I just went into something new every single day. And I ate and drank a lot. And I went to go see live music a lot. I got super chubby when I was down there. I came, I was like, can't wait to go back to New York. where Everybody's like insane about their weight. And I'll like, feel pressure to like walk, you know, 5 million miles a day and, you know, eat tofu or whatever it is like it. Because it was, but it was really like when I was down there, I was like, I'm going to eat a po' boy for breakfast. Like it was, and it was good. It was like really, really good. And I drank like all the time. And, you know, I'm 40. I shouldn't really be doing that. But, you know, when in New Orleans, I guess well, it was yeah. really
1: my family's It my was
2: really dad, decadent, you know, yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, I was it's just saying just very decadent.
1: all of my uh, extended families from Louisiana and like my my one of my cousins uh, was born and raised there. And they have, a you know, she and her husband have a kid. And I was down there. well, When was it? I guess it was last year. And we were having lunch. And I was just talking about, like, the culture in New Orleans, like, the drinking culture and how uh, it's sort of wonderfully permissive and just, like, festive. There's just – it's, like, ingrained into the culture, you know. And uh, she was saying that, like, at Little League games, there's, like, a a bar, (laughs) like, at the Little League park. They actually serve, like, vodka. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's beyond belief. And just –
2: I mean, when I came back, there's been these moments where I'm like – why can't I just take this drink with me to the next bar?
0: Right. You
2: know, cause you can walk around everywhere there with it. Um, I, I don't know. I thought it was great. And every single person I met was just lovely to me. And people said, hi to you on the street. And I'm, you know, I'm originally from Chicago. So was, like living in New York and sort of beat, beaten that, the niceties out of you. Sometimes it does that. Um, so it was just really, it's a very heartwarming experience. And I, everyone I met was just fantastic. I loved it. And it was just what I needed. And I knew that when I came back to New York, I was coming back very, for very specific business purposes, which is, you know, I had a book coming out and I needed to have meetings with people and things like that. And so, um, but it's been fine coming back just, just knowing that there's another way, making New York sound terrible. And I really love New York a lot, but I needed to go, I needed a huge perspective shift because I was so mired in it, you know, for so long. And, and now I feel like, I understand, you know. I understand it more. Yeah, yeah, I understand. No. I, oh, I, fast I, fast. I think
1: it's just healthy to shake things up and travel. Period. You know, uh, I just went away for like three days overseas, and it was nice. You know, I wish I could have stayed longer, but you know, I think that it's when you live in any place and you're in any place too long, especially when like, I mean, you know, Ooh. you work in publishing. What was that?
2: It's like my, I was checking the time and my speakers went crazy. Sorry. That's all right.
1: No. So I was just, I was just <laughs> saying that like when you work in a business where like the, the epicenter of that business is like right there outside your door, you know what I'm saying? You can get a little claustrophobic.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I could really talk about the business of publish Like you asked about that before and I was like, where do I start? Cause there's <laughs> a lot that, that's going on there. But, um, and I find, but I can write here. So I don't know. And I, but I can write elsewhere too. Um, I don't know, but I really, I love my community of people and I work part time in a bookstore here too, when I'm in town and I really love that. So it sounds like I'm being, I feel like I'm being really, I mean, New York's just, there's no other place like it. It's a tough, it's a tough place, but it's a wonderful place too. There's a lot that you can get out of it. So I've gotten, um, it's a lot easier now that I'm, on the one hand, it's a lot easier because I'm older and I not, you know, I used to do a lot of drugs and stay out late and carouse and be a wild child, and now I'm not, so it's kind of easier living in that way. But then it's also harder because when I moved here in '98, it was much cheaper, and so now it's just not—it's not really an affordable, re- like a really affordable place for um, anyone who's leading you know, any sort of creative existence. It's very, very difficult.
1: Even in in Brooklyn, even in Williamsburg? Like, all of it? (laughs) Ha,
2: ha, ha, (laughs) ha. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I mean, I don't, you could live in Queens. I have friends who live in Queens, and I have friends who live, like, way, way, way out, like, sort of, like, Sunset Park area, and they, and they, it's, you know, it is affordable for them. I've lived in the same place for 10 years, and so it's like, you know, I, I can't really afford it. And that's why I'm only here like half the year now. But uh, if I could, I would probably stay for more of it. Because I I do like my neighborhood and where I live. But um, it, you know, should I move because I really want to live in New York and like live in a neighborhood that I don't love? That's cheaper. I don't I it's like, I'm too old to like, live with a roommate. I mean, I'm not too old. I mean, anyone can live with a roommate if they need to live with a roommate, but what I want out of my life is I want to like live by myself or if I get into a relationship, live with someone, but I don't want to share a space with a roommate because I haven't in 15 years. So I don't want to start that now. So then it's like, where do you live? I don't know. I had never, I've never really determined where I will end up. And I don't think I really have to right now. Like I think I can do part of the time in New York and part of the time in New Orleans or part of the time in wherever else I want to go and sublet my apartment and live my life that way until someone tells me I don't have to, but no one really seems to care if I do or if I don't, you know, but this pal
1: that sounds great to me. You split your year between New York and New Orleans. That's a good life.
2: But this past year I was not I had no money at all, and I was couch surfing for a lot of it like that's how broke I was like i didn't like I was in New Orleans for a couple of months, but then the last I didn't get back into this apartment until August so I had like two or three months where I was like finding cheap sublets where I was sleeping on my friends' couches or whatever it was um which was hard also I mean it's just. I don't really recommend this life for anyone. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I really don't. I
0: no, I
1: mean, you know, and I think back to, like, when I was starting out, I was, like, so naive. How can you not be? I mean, I guess unless somebody really, like, got in your ear and told you. But, like, I think I had just a completely outdated understanding of publishing. Like, I was basing all of my aspirations and all of my visions of the future based on a world and a time in the business of publishing that was like long gone. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I were
2: you were you basing it on like Bright Lights, Big City?
1: Uh, even before that, you know what I'm saying. I was basing, no. I was basing it on like mid 20th century and like, okay, so you can write and you have books coming out and you'll be, you know, you'll live this fancy life and you'll have a boat, you know, <laughs> like um, right.
2: Not and
1: not, a that beard. I even, not that I even want a boat, but you know what I'm saying. Like, I just I felt like so many more things were possible. Not to say that I I guess technically they're possible, but it just, you know, I think I... But
2: even the, yeah, even the most successful people I know, like I know some people who are like, they've won awards, they've gotten big book advances, that kind of thing, and they still run out of money, you know, like eventually, like you can't keep it, it's really hard to keep up, write things at a level... I don't know how many people, like, really made it this year. Do you know what I mean? Like, Gone Girl, Cheryl Strayed. What else came out this year that did really well? Like, there's still, you know, some to come. But there's, you know, maybe five or ten books that, like... The Middle Steins.
1: The Middle Steins. It's going to hit it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, That would be fantastic, but it's not, like, a real... It, I, it is like about creating opportunity. I really, I really firmly believe that. When I really like look at what it is, and seeing already like little opportunities that have come my way because because of the because of this book, and um, meeting people who have enjoyed it is really great. In a way that people haven't enjoyed my other books is really great too. That's what I'm holding on to. I swear to God. I swear to God. That's what I'm holding on to. But I will tell you that I would love it if I were, if I got to be fucking rich. And any writer <laughs> who says they don't give a shit is lying straight to their teeth. But it's so hard that it's just not even a reason. Like if you like you if you do well, you don't really do that well. You really don't. Well, it's that's really a, hard. That's unless, what I was going to say. Unless like, you're a Gone Girl, you know. Okay, okay, gone so, Girl is like the only thing.
1: Okay. So what is Gone Girl? What? How many copies is that sold?
2: I mean, I don't really know, I don't even like to think about the numbers, but she's been on the bestseller list for like months and months and months, and she got the film deal and everything like that. And I read the book, and I totally enjoyed it, and she totally deserves it, and I read some of her, I read her very first book, too, and she has done fine, and then this is the one that she hit it with, and like she's, she's always, I don't know her personally, but I know, you know, I've heard very nice things about her, and people, you know, she dug in, and she did it, and she made it happen but she's it's one in a million you know and she or however many hundred thousand books gets published every year whatever it is she did it but she really she really did it but it's like to have all of those things happen at once is so and cheryl too i mean cheryl is like a lifer you know like she i mean that book was fantastic and everything that's come out of it has just been really it's very heartwarming it's really wonderful to see but she was, you know, just the same, just the same as the rest of us, just working really hard, writing for free online, you know, for a long time, like everyone else does. So, well, it's it, very, it's it's really hard to make it.
1: Yeah, and it, I think that, like, I think even uh, Cheryl and I'm forgetting the Gone Girls, Jillian, is that right? Flynn, Jillian yeah, Flynn, yeah, Jillian Flynn. They would they would have to probably admit that, like, they had no idea. I mean, how can you know? It's like, it's mysterious. Uh, It's completely mysterious. It's got to be word of mouth, something that they wrote, some energy that they harnessed in the writing of the thing somehow captured something about the way that people are feeling right now. I mean, who knows?
2: Yeah, I don't know, but I love it. I'm, like, super psyched for them. I mean, really, like, I, I think everyone is, like, rooting rooting for them like cheering like really cheering them on like seeing seeing that happen it completely gives you hope even if it's not going to happen to you it's going to happen to somebody else and it's it's really it's a it's just really heartening it was cool and I loved I loved reading both I mean I just love I was like these are really good books they do what they they're doing and uh, like a mystery that like sort of goes beyond that and a memoir that goes like we're, like Cheryl's like Practically a spiritual leader at this point, you know. I mean, it's I sort of say, like
1: e, e, she could.
2: Decamp. It's like we Love, pre, e pray Love. What's it called? e pray Love?
0: Something.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't believe I forgot the name of that book. Um, that's hilarious. But, um, that was the same thing where she sort of rose above it. Where people were like, "What do you know? I want to know. I want to. I kind of want to like be around you and and see what it is that you have to you know to share with me, which is amazing. I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, like the cool like. You gotta just like enjoy whatever good stuff comes your way. That's what I'm I'm doing. Like I'm having a really good time being somewhere where I people actually like my publisher seems to want me to be there, which is really nice. Like (laughs) when I meet them, they've they've actually like I meet people at my publishing house and they've read my book, which is super cool because sometimes you meet people who haven't read your book and you're like marketing people or something like that, and you're like, what are we doing? Why are we? why are you having this meeting right now? You know, you're not, you're not invested in me. So I don't know. I want to, I, I don't want to, you're not entitled really to anything in this, in this world, but you should go where you're, I try to go where I'm wanted,
1: you know? Yeah. I mean, do you have any aspirations <laughs> in terms of like these opportunities that open up based on writing, which I think is a great way to look at it. Cause it, cause not only because it's true, but because, um, you know, it, it's, it's nice to sort of recognize the upsides, but, you know, in terms of like teaching or something that might open up as the result of the Middlesteins, you know, selling decently and getting, uh, uh, all these great reviews and whatnot and generating all this affection from, um, writers and so on and so forth, uh, you know, is that something that you would look for?
2: Um, I don't, I've never taught and I didn't go to graduate school. I mean, I haven't been in academia. I'm like 20, when did I graduate from college? 93. So nearly 20 years, um, But I feel like I know stuff. I would be into it, but I don't know even how to go about it. Um, The biggest opportunity that's happened for me, and the most important one, was me being able to sell a book on proposal. So I get next year, or I get about half of next year to write. And then I'll have to start all, you know, maybe I'll go back and work in advertising or something like that, which is fine. But it was enough that I could, if I left, and not to live in New York to write, mind you. Like, I'll go back to New Orleans because I couldn't afford to do it on, on my advance here. But that was really the biggest thing for me, um, is them saying is, you know, and, and the book that I'm working on is like kind of a, it's, it will, I mean, I'm just overjoyed to get to work on it. Like I really love the person that I'm writing about and. Is it really a novel? I, I
1: read, I read it's your un- post, but it sounds like it's based on a real person, but is it a fictionalization?
2: It's a fictionalization. It's this woman who, um, did you ever read? Um, uh, sorry. Um, did you ever read *Up in the Old Hotel*? The um, Joseph Mitchell collection. It's a collection of essays from uh, his work in the New Yorker, like in the '40s. Um, one of the um, essays is about this real-life woman who was known as the Queen of the Bowery. And she worked in this movie theater for 20 years on the bar rate in the ticket taker booth. She was mad; she owned it, but she worked in the ticket taker booth on the bar rate from like 9 o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night every day for decades. And then when she would get off work, she would go and she would help the homeless men on the streets. And she was this sort of boozy, body boisterous woman. And I have basically like an 11 page essay about her to. And I read it and I just kind of fell in love with her. And then I did a little bit. There's not a lot of research about her out there. There's some art, like there's an obituary and there's an article about her when she retired from the movie theater. And in that article, she talked about how she was going to, she was retiring to write the story of her life, which she either never wrote or she wrote it and just didn't do anything with it, but it doesn't exist. And so I'm writing that.
1: Wow. Okay. That's
2: interesting. the The book that she would have written.
1: Yeah, so I mean, that, and and you just read this essay, and that sparked it. That was it.
2: I just really identify with her. I really, uh, even though I'm not her. I mean, in a way, it's totally different because she stayed in the same place, and the whole world came to her. Whereas I'm constantly in motion and traveling, and and also like I'm not her. I mean, I didn't certainly am not as saintly as she is. I mean, she really devoted her life to helping these people. Um, but she was a, kind of a kook too. I mean, she was just I don't know I really love her um but I don't there was some sort of mystical uh, I sound crazy by saying that there's just something there where I really connected with her, and I felt like she was this kind of lost American hero, and I really am interested in writing about America, and I'm not really particularly interested in writing about the past, like I don't even really read a lot of historical novels, but um I, I kind of just, I'm just going to write it. I'm just going to get in there and
1: see what happens. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think uh, I just read uh, Austerlitz, the book by W.G. Sebald. There's like a blurb on it, and you know, it's a really sad book. I was actually talking about this too on a recent episode, but it was like, you know, it's a book about a guy who essentially, as a child, was part of the kinder transport and lost uh, his entire family in the Holocaust. So it's like this awful story, but it's about him discovering all this in his adult years and sebald is obviously german and the blurb on the book was something to the effect of like you know he's got like this old-fashioned notion of fiction that it can sort of right wrongs and uh set things straight somehow you know and by telling this story it was sort of giving voice to, Mm to you know giving voice to people who were voiceless and you know, when you talk about writing about this woman who was sort of like quietly heroic in her way, but never got a chance to really put her story down, like that makes sense to me. And I think that that's a function of fiction that is, and, and a function of writing in general and storytelling in general, that's really noble and motivating. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a good way to approach it.
2: I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm pretty concerned that I, I well, when I was reading really the middle scenes, I was really, it was, just, I was undergoing some sort of Changed my life. I don't really know what it was, but I was um, very focused on being inc- extremely compassionate towards my characters, and um, where I was very meditative about it. I was really trying to have a deep understanding. I wrote my way into understanding them. Um, I wrote my way into loving them for all their flaws, and um, and I and I see that, and the result. I see that when people read it and, and sort of and say that about it, like feel like it's you know compassionate or sympathetic and and how they appreciate that and I think that that's a good way to spend my time and so I found this person who was very flawed I mean she was extremely flawed individual um and led a you know uh, a very interesting life and but she she was very pure about her compassion for people and I I I get that. I get that. And so I want to write books that are about that. I want to write books that are about as I, as I'm halfway through my life or whatever it is, like I want to, I have a worldview now that I want to very consciously put into my books, not in a peachy kind of way, because you know, you write, you don't say, you write it by sh- sometimes by showing the opposite of what it is you know what i mean well
1: yeah i was, but, gonna, I was uh, gonna ask you like when you talked about like writing the middle and approaching your characters with more compassion than maybe you had with uh past books or whatever you're like really heightening that that particular kind of attention like how did you actually do that do you know what i'm saying like what's the practice is it just paying better attention to them or like how do you have more compassion for your characters and all of their faults
2: uh, uh i really um I sort of increased my meditation practice, which I think was part of it. Um,
1: like, What kind of meditation practice? sitting,
2: like Zen? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to like, I don't, don't want to, it's kind of personal, but um, I, you know, I, um, I cre- increased that. I looked at myself more. I was calming down. I was going, you know, I was sort of, I mean, I'd still drink, but I was sort of more sober than I'd been in, in the past and, and continue to be that way. And, um, just, I was calming down and I was getting older and I was getting, you know, and I was thinking about, look, look, I was capable finally of looking back at my life in a way that I had never been able to before. So I don't, I don't know. It's sort of, it's almost like really, it's really weirdly personal question. Um, I just tried,
0: yeah, no, <laughs> I not, just
2: tried, I just tried harder, but I, and I, I kind of accepted myself a little, even though I'm gosh it sounded incredibly, sounded extremely neurotic about questioning myself and all that kind of thing. Um, I do really, I am, have worked harder on, you know, you just calm down. I think when you get older you just, Maybe. Get t-
1: you just get tired. <laughs>
2: you you're, get sleepy. Yeah,
1: you mistake, that for, you mistake that for Zen Calm. You're just, like, exhausted. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, I think that, that that's actually, like, a very astute answer, and I think it's kind of surprising at the same time, but also uh, surprising. It, it's surprising then totally obvious. But, you know, you, you're talking about, you know, how do you extend yourself outward to these characters, Um you know, assuming that they're third party entities, you know, and how do you approach them with more compassion? And it sounds like, you know, that it was about turning inwards, oddly enough, as opposed to turning outwards in some regard, you know?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. what was surprising about it? I understood why you said it was surprising. Well,
1: because I mean, when you think about having compas- more compassion for characters and more compassion for other people or more compassion in your life in general, you think that it's always this reaching out process when, in fact, a, um, lot, a lot of it is looking in, you know, in, in order to arrive at that. And, like, I don't know. I was kind of picturing it, like, if I, if I were picturing it in some way, I was picturing, like, outreach, When in, you know, when, in fact, it was, like, more of an introspective thing.
2: Yeah, 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 I think it's, uh, I, well, I, um, you know, I was putting myself in the room with them.
0: Right. I was
2: thinking about when I when I was, even when I was meditating, I mean, I was like really, because there's, you know, life and death questions in this book. And I didn't, I don't know if I even knew how to like, even start to think about that before, even though my second book was actually kind of a life and death book that I, I don't even ever want to, I mean, I love that book, but I also like, feel like I'm a little bit further I don't know. You just get older. I don't know. I hope I, I hope I keep learning. I hope I don't just like stop, you know, but I, I I feel to me, it's a really secure place now in that I know what I, and in 10 years, it might be totally different. And I accept that, but I feel like I've got a little bit of a ride ahead of me where I'm like, here's where I want to hang my hat. Here's what I here's sort of like a mission and I w- and I just did said this in another interview the other day I was like I kind of wish other people like everybody just wanted to you know put that out there but it's not for it's not for everyone and there's books that can just be purely enjoying enjoyable and there's books that can be very dark and there's there's room for all of it um, but I'm happy I found um, this you know path for myself
1: and what is the path I mean is it just like the path of like writing about the theme of compassion among human beings? I mean, is that, or is that not it?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I actually, yes, I believe like writing a, writing about compassion, thinking about compassion, thinking about how to be more compassionate to me is, is helpful. Um, expressing a, a sort of fair mindedness towards the world is, even if you're expressing it by showing the opposite of that, um, but having like having that point of view in my head while I'm going into write toward writing it, it, it it shows in its way. Even if my characters do things that are are fucked up, if I'm writing from that place, if I'm like trying to write from a place of understanding that um, it will it will you'll be able to in theory, you'll be able to feel it right and you know I, does that make any sense at all yeah
1: it does it does and like i guess what i'm wondering and i don't want to like push you into something that you're not comfortable talking about but like i do i i wish i meditated more and i think that there's like such <laughs> a i think there's such a parallel between the act of writing which involves sitting and concentrating and not letting the thoughts in your head pull you off the chair or whatever the case may be you know like i think there's a lot of parallels and i think that you can be like served well as a writer by developing that concentration and uh, that level of focus or equanimity or whatever. And, um, you know, it's totally unrelated to dogma. It's literally just a practice of sitting there. And, and
2: uh, everyone know, has every, has a different, like, I know people who go running and that's it. And that's their, that's where they think and that's where they get it. You know, that's right. like their moment and they're, they feel the endorphins. And so they're, I mean, maybe they're not their goal. Maybe their goal is not like, I want to run from a place of compassion. Maybe they're, their goal is something different, but everyone has a place that they go to that helps them to be the creative person that they want to be. And the more that you hone it and the more that you refine it, the more precise your vision will become is what I believe. So when you, when you, that's what I believe.
1: Okay. So, but when you like, do you have like a ritual where like you, you will meditate before you write or after you write? Is that the way?
2: (laughs) No, it's, I don't, I don't mean to be cagey about it at all, but it's like, It's my own. It's your thing. You know, it's my thing. I do, I practice it in classes. Um, I, I will say that. And then, um, and then there are times where it's more relevant to my life than other times. There's times when I don't have time for it, but I know that it's always there for me. So it could be there, like people could go and pray and it would be like the same thing, you know, like it's really whatever you, I would never tell anyone to go and do what I, do. Cause it's my person and it doesn't work for everyone. And it's my kind of just my personal thing. I think my suggestion would be that you find the thing that works for you, whatever right. it is. And right. it could, and it could be something physical and it could be something completely mental, or it could be right. like, just, you know, I don't know. I can't think of another, you know, picking up dancing or something like that, whatever it is, that thing that gets you to that place. But it's, it ultimately is, it, you cannot tell anyone else what to do and you, and not, and it's all completely different for different people. And it's, that's why I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. Cause it's, it's just my personal, there's no instruction to it. You know, it's just my personal thing. It's just, I don't mean to sound like whatever. I mean, that's just how I feel. Like it's just my,
0: <laughs> your, your ritual. Thing.
2: I'm not really, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying to be cagey about it. It's just, and it could be again, like ten years from now, it might be something totally different. It's like whatever works for you in that moment, you just kind of have to like do it if you can, if you can find it. It's kind of it's like if you can find the the apartment where you know the the corner of your house where you can write, then you should go to that corner of the house every single day and write. If you can, you know, find a person that you love who. Makes you feel like a great, you know, makes you feel so good about yourself that you want to go and write. Then you should be with that person. Like whatever you need to do, if if it's important to you and it's positive, then you should just do that.
1: So earlier in the conversation, you were talking about your uh, approach to writing and how it's not a, a tortured approach. Like you actually love the process of writing and you get pure joy from it. And you're not somebody who hates their own work. And Right. I'm somebody who can fall into that too easily. Like I don't hate my own work, but I, I have mixed feelings about it. Um, and I can also find the to- the process of writing like it's super pleasurable, um, and I often don't give it enough credit for being so. But it's also grueling for me too. And so I'm like personally curious like how do you like where does that come from? Is it just a natural thing, or is it a confidence and an attitude that you've sort of cultivated?
2: Um. I think I've just always written like I started reading when I was like many- writers and readers I'm sure i I started reading when I was very young and I wrote like my first stories when I was like four or five years old, and I was instantly rewarded I mean I remember I wrote like a little book that they laminated that like won some like district competition or something like that, and so there was always this notion for me that i this was the thing that I could get you know attention for or would give pleasure to other people and my mother was a teacher and she really, you know, supported me writing and I, my parents, you know, and so it was always a thing that I wanted to do and it was always, and I could always write myself out of any situation and I still believe that I can always write myself out of any situation. So it was, so, it's, so it's just always been there for me and my imagination has always been there for me too. It's like, I didn't have a lot of friends when I was growing up. I had, um, this was a whole other show, but I mean, I had like, I was um, like this, I had a, an accident when I was, you know, in the third grade and I had like bitten through my lip. And so I had I, this huge hanging lip and I was this smart kid and I was also overweight. Um, I had ended up getting plastic surgery on it when I was in high school or ju- end of junior high school. But um, so I was very physically unattractive. And so my best friends were my books and my imagination and my words.
1: So, wait, what, didn't really, what happened in the accident? You had a car accident or something? Or?
2: No, no, no. It was like uh, just this weird accident on the, it was during winter. Um, we had these basketball courts in my school and they were frozen over. And I was like already like this chubby little uncoordinated kid. And I was standing on the edge of the basketball court watching all the other kids like slide around on the ice. And the, the girl who was like bigger than I was um, was on it and she fell off of it and on to me and I bit through my lip and just like I was in this weird, like I was growing and it just, you know, and I was young and whatever. It was just this weird configuration of time and space where it just, they couldn't operate. They could seal it up, but they couldn't do any plastic surgery on me because I was still growing. So I lived with that for five years.
1: So, well, I mean, it's interesting though. Like, you know, like I've read a lot of, you know, you read a lot of like biographies of uh, writers or people in the arts and like, it's not an uncommon story that they had some sort of illness or affliction or or period of their childhood where they were uh, Mm. driven inward or, do you know what I'm saying? Like it it, it seems like there's often like, not often, but a lot of times that happens or I've I've read about that and and it's sort of formative, you know, in terms of their artistic life.
2: But I was inward before then. I mean, honestly, I was like four years old and I was like already off in my own little world. But then that was like, any chance I might have had for like having like a normal social life was really kind of sealed with that. I mean, it just sort of sealed it with that, but it was actually more formative, like in terms of like my impression of my physical self, like what I, you know, what I, the way I felt about myself as a girl, like approaching adolescence and just being and just thinking I was really ugly as I approached adolescence, which is a totally different, show um i'm fine with how i look now but it took a really long time to get out of that because that was what i always saw when i looked in the mirror was so that was i mean that probably like kind of pushed me further into it but um the
1: course was already set
2: my course was already set i mean i was my mom is a good writer she doesn't write fiction but she's a really good communicator her Mother was no—I didn't meet her, her mom, dad when she was young. But she was known as a good letter writer. My father's a salesman, and a you know a storyteller. And a lot of people in my family are good at telling stories. And I read a lot, a lot of books, and I really love them. So it's kind of, it's kind of a really safe place for. It's a really safe place for me, and it just makes me feel. it's always, it's always been the thing that has been what I can offer up to the world. When there are many things about me that are. I'm an okay person. Now. I always say I'm an okay person with a lot of guilt. Like I'm not a good person, but I'll do the <laughs> the right thing. Cause I have so much guilt. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's just the thing that I have. So I take it seriously. I think very much about being of service with my writing. It's a very conscious thing now.
0: Well, that's awesome. life's short. Yeah, that's
1: right. <laughs> it's really short. And, uh, you know, for whatever it's worth, I feel like good things are on the horizon. I get uh, a good oh. sense. I get a good sense about this book, and I've really enjoyed talking with you. And yeah, you too. I wish you luck. And if you're out in Los Angeles, uh, are you coming to Los Angeles on tour? Is that happening?
2: Um, I think next summer for paperback, I'm going to drive cross country just for the hell of it and go and see places. So I will come out there. Okay. I have friends there now. Now you're my friend, so okay. I'll come okay. out there.
1: Too. Well, good stuff. <laughs> well, uh, thanks so much, Jamie.
2: Thank
1: you. It was fun. Bye. Okay, you guys. There you have it. That is Jamie Attenberg. Go get her new book. It is called The Steens. It is available from Grand Central Publishing. You can find Jamie on the web at jamieattenberg.com. She's on the Facebook. She's on the Twitter at jamieattenberg. Uh, she's all over the web. She's even got Tumblr's. I think. I can't even keep up with her. This show has a website. It's otherpeoplepod.com. If you want to donate and throw a few dollars down to help the program, you can do that at otherpeoplepod.com by clicking on donate up there in the right sidebar. The show has a Twitter feed at other people pod. Follow it. Uh, I have a Twitter feed at Brad Listy If you would like to read my extremely revealing psycho spiritual tweeting, the show has a Facebook presence. And if you would like to email me, the address is letters at other And Hey, don't forget to go get the app, the free other people app. It is available for your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod touch or your Android device. It's free. Did I mention that? And it's the best way to listen to the show. So go get it. Thank you once again to our sponsor, the Litbreaker Ad Network. If you want to reach the Literary Arts and Culture web, please visit litbreaker.com. And uh, thanks, as always, to Kill Rockstars for all the great music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. And uh, yeah, that would, that would appear to be it. We appear to be reaching the end of this podcast. Uh, I am a podcaster. Do you realize that? I can't even believe it. I'm a podcaster. Are you judging me? Are you judging me silently? Uh, Okay Please remember that Benny Goodman died of a heart attack While practicing Mozart And that Madame Butterfly is set in Nagasaki Uh, I'll be back again soon I'm going to bring back uh, another author We're going to have a conversation I'm going to podcast it I'm going to offer another rambling assessment Of my mild social anxiety and tendency uh, To do strange things In public at inopportune moments How does that sound? Is that a deal? Okay Uh, Are we done? Is that it? I think that's it.